0: Amen, amen. All right, we're on part two of our series. We started last week uh, called Pursuing God. And uh, you have your outline there in front of you. Let's go ahead and just jump right in. And in Roman number one, what I want to do is just give a vision. I want to give us a vision for what it looks like to be a people who live our lives pursuing God. I believe that's the normal Christian life. That Christians are supposed to live passionately pursuing God all the days of their life. And so when we, when we talk about passionate and, and what this looks like over time, I just kind of itemize it in three different ways. Uh, first, I say this, that passionate means that we want to love Him fervently. You know, according to the, the first commandment, we want to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to passionately pursue God. Now, that's the thing where we actually have to not give ourselves a break. Sometimes we go, well, that's serious. You know, really heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's like the high bar of Christianity. And I would encourage you to know that's not the high bar. That's the first commandment. (laughs) That's normal. And that's where we're supposed to live. This is what we're supposed to look like, a people that love Jesus with everything on the inside of us. that our hearts are burning and desiring him. And so I just say there in the notes, we don't want to settle for mediocre or mild or, or middle-of-the-road kind of Christianity. You want to settle for something that's not what the Bible you know, shows us, even if it's what the culture shows us. Whatever the Bible shows us, that's what we want to live to. We want to live at that place. So if the Bible says, love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, moreover, it says, com- it commands us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to live in that and if we're not living in it, we want to ask for grace to live in that. And I, that's, the, I think, one of the biggest challenges of our lives, isn't it? When you read the Scripture, it's for me anyway, maybe not you, but for me. I read the Scripture, and I go, Lord, I almost don't know anybody that's really living like this. And so often, we can sort of let ourselves off the hook, because, you know, you just don't see a lot of people living like, like, like the Bible says, like loving God with everything, really, all your heart all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. It's, it's like, oh, well, nobody really lives that way, so maybe I don't have to. And we let ourselves off the hook. And I would say, no, let's not let ourselves off the hook in 2017. Let's have a biblical lifestyle. Let's have a passionate desire for Jesus every single day. We don't wanna live middle of the road and, and what I say is ultimately lukewarm. You know, Jesus gave us enough in the Bible That we wouldn't live lukewarm if we just follow what it says and then ask for grace to to follow. And and I don't want to live that way. So I want to live passionately. Passionately for Jesus. Fervently loving him. And So that's who we want to be. We want to be people that desire to live fervently, zealously, and passionately for Jesus. Well, it also means this. That we live focused. Passionate means focused. and, and, And passionate, it means authentic. So focused, I talk about in B. And, and, and here's, here's where it's got to get down to for us. If you want to pursue the Lord, you want to be passionate for God, it means this. we got to be focused in our pursuit. You know, we can't just sort of like, just you know, just going to be led by the Spirit in my pursuit of God. You know? And if I don't feel it today, I'm just not going to do anything. And if I do, I'm just going to go. That doesn't work because eventually your flesh won't feel it. And then it won't feel it after about two days. And then after about a week. And then after about two weeks. And all of a sudden you hadn't felt it in a couple months. That's not going to work for us. Because there's going to be days you feel it. And then there's going to be days you don't feel it. And on the days we feel it. We go, yes Lord, thank you for grace. I'm leaning in. I'm going hard. And on the days you don't feel it. You go, God help me to feel it. And I'm going to do on the days that I don't feel it. Exactly what I would do on the days that I do feel it. And that's. Called focus. We're getting ready to have this growth path on on living focused. I would encourage you to jump in on that. But focus means this. That we realize that spiritual disciplines. Spiritual discipline. It's not a bad word. Now for some people. Spiritual discipline. It sounds like oh the glory of the Lord. I just love discipline. I love focus. I love schedules. I love being on time. I love it. Some people are just like that. Some people, spiritual discipline sounds like I just told you to sin. You're like, that's religion. Can't box me and I got to flow. All those that are born of the Spirit, they're like the wind. And they just, you don't know where it's going or where it's coming from, and you just got to flow, brother. That's cool. I appreciate that. I want you to flow with the Holy Spirit. I want you to be led by the Spirit. But when you don't feel the wind, then what do you do? You need discipline. Glory. So spiritual discipline is not a bad word; it's a good word. And I'm not a person that's normally like my natural bent isn't for schedules and it isn't for disciplines. You know, my my, I'm more the flowy guy. I I like that. You know, born again, like the wind. I love all that. But that wasn't that that verse in John three isn't uh, to be an excuse for you to live sloppy. It's not an excuse for you to be late all the time. Well, I'm just like the wind. You just never know when I'm going to show up. No. It's, it's not an excuse to live undisciplined. We, what we want to do is we want to take that, that aspect of us that we're born again, and we are. We're led by the Spirit. You never know when the Holy Spirit's going to blow on your soul and lead you to... Preach the gospel to somebody or lay hands on somebody or give somebody a prophetic word. You never know. But that, the point isn't that you would just live undisciplined and all over the map. We've got to be able to do something when the wind stops, when we don't feel the wind. And that's called spiritual disciplines. And so those help us. And, and here's what we have to realize is that spiritual disciplines, they're a means to help us to get what we really want. Because what we really want is what I said in A a passionate, fiery, fervent, zealous heart after God. Is that right? Am I in the right room? That's what we want. So we need focus to be able to get us what we want. And what we want is, is that burning heart. And so discipline enables us to get what we want. And, and so here's what it is, if our hearts desire to be fiery in love with Jesus and to know Him deeply, the way that we get there, it's not by running around and to every conference and hoping we get zapped in some ministry line, it's by having spiritual disciplines. Having a focused approach to fasting and prayer and studying the scriptures, sharing our faith, fellowshipping with other believers, we have to plan these things. And when we plan them, here's what I've come to find out the more i plan my spiritual life the more i actually do my spiritual life i know that's like not rocket science but it's it's true if i plan it i'll do it if i don't plan it i won't do it and i'm i'm standing on uh, you know 12 13 14 years or something of doing night and day prayer as my vocation And I can tell you for sure, my schedule to pray and to fast and to read the Bible, that schedule has enabled me to pray and fast and read the Bible 80%, 90% more, 100% more than I would have if I would have just been flowing with the wind. It's that focused, disciplined approach. And so what I'm saying is, you want to be... Fiery for God, schedule your life in a way that makes sense. It's going to get you to that end. We schedule what's important, so schedule your prayer times. Schedule regular fasting times. Schedule times to, to share your faith. Schedule times for fellowship. Really, make it a part of your life, and you'll find in five years, you've done more fasting and praying more studying of the word more fellowshipping with believers and more sharing of your faith than you would have ever done had you not planned any of it does that make sense so because we want to be passionate we want to be focused and that's what it means we've got to lean in to to focus in order to see our relationship with God grow and and become who we want to be with God all right see this is a big one for us We want it to be authentic. We want it to be passionate. We want it to be focused, but we want it to be authentic. And what does that mean? That means this. We want the real thing. We don't want to settle for hype. We don't want to settle for for you know you know just just emotion, just people drumming things up in the flesh. We want the real thing. We want the real encounter with the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Bible says we can have, we want all of it, but we won't fake any of it. We won't put on anything. We want a a legitimate heart that's really living what the Bible says we're to live, and that's loving God, and we want to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to do it in a focused way, and we don't want to settle for something that's not real. I want all of it, anything that's in the Bible, I want all of it but I don't want to hype it up. And one of the big challenges in the church is we love to call every spark a bonfire. Every time there's a little bit of spark, whoa, it's revival. Two people got healed and that's awesome. But two healings doesn't equal revival. Let's get a real vision. Revival is when an entire region gets impacted by the glory of God. Revival in Gwinnett County might look like 500,000 people getting born again. That might be revival. Once you hit those hundred thousand, couple hundred thousand in a little county, that might be revival. Until then, we're just sort of we just got a little spark going, got some something's going, but but we don't want to overhype stuff. I, I, I I'm so, and I think the church is so burnt out on hype that we just get cynical when God actually does begin to do stuff. God's really moving. And then we have to go, no, it's real. It's really real. I mean, it's real. It's the most glorious anointing of manifestation of presence of ever just to get people to believe that it's authentic. No, it's real, really. It's really real this time. No, we, we look, we don't have to just use all these superlatives with stuff. If God's moving, we must say amen. He's moving, yes and amen. And we want the real thing. We don't have to stir up the flesh or emotions in place of a real spiritual encounter. I say there, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater like so many people do. They'll they'll throw out any kind of move of the spirit and they'll just count it all as not real. No, 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 we want the baby. We want the real thing. But that's the point, we want the real thing. Amen. That's just giving a little bit of a vision. For what we're after, passionate pursuing of God, living this way, passionate, focused, authentic lives going after God. All right, Roman numeral two. I'm up. If you wonder what I'm doing, I'm provoking you. I'm trying to provoke you. I want you out of business as usual Christianity. I don't want you blending in and looking just like everything else that calls itself Christian, I want you looking like the Bible. And, and, and that's different. I want to live like the Bible. That's different. And there's, there's many believers that are out there living that way. They're really going for it. Uh, we, we're by no means like the only group. I mean, there's thousands and thousands of hungry, passionate believers seeking God. But we want to we just give ourselves wholeheartedly to, to what the Bible says we can have. So I, I wanted to get... Uh, David in front of us. I wanted to get some of the Psalms of David in front of us. Last week, we looked at Psalm 27. This week, I want to look at Psalm 63. I think next week, I might look at uh, Psalm 42. Psalm 63 and Psalm 42 and a couple other Psalms are Psalms that David wrote when he was at an extremely low point in his life. He He was in desperate need of God and it comes out in his... In his writing, and in fact, what's going on in Psalm sixty-three and in Psalm forty-two and a couple others, where you see this, David, where you see David just crying for God, what's going on there is his son Absalom has led a rebellion against him and seized the the uh, the, the king palace, the kingly palace, and David has been driven out of Jerusalem. So he's he's beyond the Jordan, and he's. He's you know on the run from his own son who is who's taken, taken the kingdom from him. There's much more to that story, but that's the context. So when you read Psalm 42 and you read Psalm 63, that's what's going on. So we see it, it says the Psalm of David, verse 1. When he was in the wilderness of Judah. Isn't it? Isn't it just the way it goes? That you once you hit. That hard place, that kind of that hit the rock bottom, that's when like, when, when all the props that have been holding you up are kicked out. That's when you have this authentic, real cry for God. I, you know, I've, I've marveled at myself just over years. I just watch myself. And when things are going good, I sort of relax. When things are hard, I'm like, oh, I really need God. Look, everything's blowing. I need you. And, and it's just funny how we wait until things are really just a mess to really seek God with everything. I pray that we wouldn't actually live that way. That we wouldn't wait till there's pain and pressure and problems. I don't want to be that guy. That when everything's going good, I'm like, Lord, I love you, it's all good. Praise God. And just sort of casual. And then when things are bad, I'm like, dear God. I need you. I would rather have just that heart of hunger all the time. And then God doesn't have to make me seek him by giving me difficult circumstances. You wonder how come sometimes it goes up and down and up and down in your life. I tell you, so often the people of God are being starved out by the Lord so that they will begin to seek God. I know I'm preaching really good right now. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure you guys get that. I, this is good. This is good stuff. That's what happens to us so often. Things go very difficult, and we go, the devil, the devil, the devil. And I've, I've said this a long time. Oftentimes, your problem's not the devil, oftentimes, your problem's God. Because he is removing you from your comfort zone so you'll cry out to him with a heart that just wants him and him alone. He's not content being added to all the other things in our lives as sort of the, the mascot God. So here's David. He's on the run. He's, he's been king and now he's on the run and his son is trying to kill him. He's taking over the throne. I love how he starts. Oh God, you are my God. If you read in the Hebrew, there's two different words he uses there for God. But the point of that phrase is this. He is definitively saying where his help comes from. And he is, he is um, he's referencing the power of God to deliver him. In other words, God, you're my God. You're the one that's in control of my life. You're the one that can set me free. You're the one that can deliver me. I'm not looking to any other God. God, you're the one. You're my God. You're the one that's in control of my life. He goes, early will I seek you. And that means what it says. I will prioritize uh, uh, praying and seeking you above everything else. I'll prioritize your presence over everything else. And that's how it is. In times of pursuit, you get to that place where you say, I don't want anything more than I want the presence of God. I want your presence more than anything. Early, I will prioritize it. I will seek you first. Another translation says, earnestly. It means the same thing. It's I'm prioritizing you to seek you first. I'm after you with my whole heart, earnestly. I will seek you. And now David is about to unlock these next two phrases. He's about to unlock the mystery of our makeup. What's really ticking in your heart? This is, you you can't understate how important these next two phrases are. It's the status of all humankind. And it's the status of you. It's where you live and it's where I live. And it's where every person lives. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. He's unlocking the mystery of the human makeup, of human, of how we're constructed. So here it is. Human beings are people of, of great appetite, great desire, with much craving. We're, we're people who have much longing. It's, it's inbred into our nature. And not just in our soul, but actually in our physical nature, our physiology. He said, my soul has this experience of desire. And what he does is he he details that the desire that his soul experiences is ultimately about desiring God. Now here's the thing. Humanity, I'm talking about the nation's all across the world, they all are desirous of something. They're all desiring. Every person I've ever met has desires. They have longings. They have cravings. Some people, it's more evident in how they live that they're just going after all their passions and desires. Other people, they keep them more close to their chest, kind of private. These are the, the longings of my soul. But if you can get down into what people are after, you can find out a lot about them, can't you? If you can figure out what's that guy really going for, then you really know what's making them tick and what they're really about. But here's the thing. Everybody has these deep longings and desires on the inside, but what they don't realize is just beneath what they would say their longings and desires are, there's another longing that's actually causing that longing, and it's God. Your construction is made that you would long. I mean, you would ache and desire God. That's what's making you tick. In your soul, there is a, a magnet for the divine. It's what's going on with you. I mean, this is the mystery of humanity. What are we about? What are we after? What's, what are the nations doing right now? They're going after so many things, but what they don't realize is is that they are longing for God on the inside. And what they've done is they've substituted so many pursuits for the the prime pursuit for which they were made, which is to encounter God. And it's it's what you're made for, your soul right now, your soul longs for God. Now, whether you've tended that longing or, or you know, towards spiritual things, towards God or not, it, it, it doesn't change the, the, the truth that your soul is made for God. All the questions humanity asks, why do we exist? What is our purpose? Where are we going? Those are all questions of the longing soul that's looking for God. My soul thirsts for you. And then he takes it to another level. He says, even my flesh longs for you. There are many passions in the human frame, many passions in the human flesh, many longings. Uh, When they tend towards sins, they're lusts. But here's the, I mean, this is the unbelievable uh, mystery that beneath all those passions... Your flesh actually is longing for God. All the improper passions of humanity. I'm talking about sexual impurity. I- I- I'm talking about, you know, gluttony. And, and all the physical improper passions actually beneath them have a desire that's driving them and it's their desire for God and what happens is when that desire is misappropriated when sin perverts and twists it people point their passions in their even in their flesh towards perversion and towards things that bind and blind them instead of understanding this your physical body is actually still in a state of aching for God it's wild See your 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 frame. Your frame is going for the redeemed. That is your frame is going to put on glory, and there's it's encoded in your makeup that you know you're not made for just this. That you're longing to be glorified. You're longing. In your soul, to be a partaker of the divine nature, and in your flesh, to be a partaker of the glory of God. Your flesh and your soul, they thirst and they long for God. Oh, that's the great mystery. It really is, beloved. It's what's making you tick. I mean, beneath every desire and longing that you have is this truth. And David is out there. He's in the desert. He's out there running around in the desert of Judah and he's got no place to go. All the props are kicked out. He's got a handful of guys with him. His son is, you know, cut, you know taking over the throne and trying to destroy him. And there he is out there in the desert somewhere and he gives man, at the bottom of everything. There's this real... on the inside of me and it's I'm longing for you God my soul and my flesh I'm longing for you in a dry and and thirsty land where there is no water he goes I'm physically experiencing a lot of discomfort right now but that's not the issue for me because ultimately I'm after you I want you I realize that the the sole pursuit of my my heart is God and then he reflects in verse 2 he says I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. He reflects on days gone by. He goes, I remember when I used to go and and encounter you in the place of your power and your presence. I remember what that was like to to experience the, the glory of God filling my being. I remember what that was like to encounter your your presence on my soul. That's why I looked for you. He goes, I'm thirsting for God, soul and body, and that's why, so I sought you. I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And what you find is this, when you go through the words there, you find this, that David is speaking the same language that Moses spoke. Show me your glory when Moses said, show me your glory, show me your face, David goes, the same thing is making me tick. I'm after you, God. See, when I, when I read this stuff, there's something that comes alive inside of me. I go, that's what I'm made for. This circus called this age and this world system And all these lesser things and lesser pleasures and lesser loves and all this petty stuff that gains our attention. All these things, I look at all of them and I go, there's no value to it. You and you alone are what I want. It's it's amazing to me. Human beings will live their whole life after a false after in, in a false pursuit after a false satisfaction. They'll live their whole life going after something that will inevitably not satisfy them. I need more money. Really? Well, how much is enough? More. More is enough. I need more position, more platform, more authority. Well, how much is enough? When I'm executive VP, that'll be enough. Will that be enough? No, 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 I gotta be, I gotta be VP. I gotta be the number one or whatever it is. I don't know the ranks, but whatever. No, then when I'm that, I gotta be I've gotta have the business. I've gotta be the guy. I've gotta be the, the president. Well, no, when I'm the president, I gotta be a board member. I got to now I've got to be multiple board members. I got to be on multiple boards. No, I got to be the president of the United States. <laughs> the reader understand. It never stops. The longing for more, the lust for more, it never stops. And what people don't re- they live their whole lives. I mean they live their whole lives. You'll meet people elderly and they're looking for something more and they've never found the mystery of their frame. They, they've never come to grips with what they're actually made for. That's what David, he said, I, I've, I've looked for you because I know what I'm made for. I'm made for God. I'm made for your power, and your beauty. I'm made for your glory. I'm made for, for the, the being of you, the, all of who you are, to flood me and fill me, possess me. I'm made for God. And then in verse 3, to me, verse 3 is, it's where everything comes to a head. He unlocks the mystery of our frame and and at verse one, and he says, this has been my response, and but verse three, he gives the reason. because I've sought you, because this, your loving kindness is better than life. That's the phrase, beloved. Your loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. Now loving kindness, it's not a, we don't use that phrase in our just modern, we don't just go to somebody, you're so loving kind. We, we don't really say that. So it's a Hebrew word, C-H-E-S-E-D, chesed, chesed. It means loyal love and devotion. With mercy and gentleness. God, your loyal love, your devotion toward me, your gentleness and your mercy, your loving kindness, it's better than life. See, that's an easy phrase. It rolls off the tongue. Your loving kindness is better than life. It's, it, it fills many of our songs. We sing that phrase. Your loving kindness is better than life. Your love is better than life. <clears throat> Here's the thing, though. Do you actually believe in an experiential way that is accorded with the activity of your life <laughs> that God's loving kindness is better than than anything you can get in this life. Do you believe that? I was staring at that phrase, asking my own self that question. Do I believe that your loving kindness is better than life? And I was thinking about all the things the world offers. Is your loving kindness better than life? Everything this world offers. And I started dialing into this word life. And what I realized is this of course, I know the answer. His answer is this of course, his loving kindness is better than anything this world offers, but that's not even what he's asking. What he's actually saying is your loving kindness is better than breathing, it's better than even my heart beating. It's what Paul touched, to live as Christ but to die as gain, because I get to plunge headlong into your loving kindness. Do you think of God's love, his devotion, his gentleness, and his mercy towards you, His, his passion toward you, do you think of it as better than even being alive? See, humanity, they will fight and struggle, scratch, kick, and scream for life. But do we believe his loving kindness is better than life? Oh, that's the phrase that was just, I don't know. It was just penetrating me. It was just nailing me. I just, Oh, it was just going right through my heart. I was going, God. Your loving kindness is better than life. I was just saying it back to him this week. Your loving kindness is better than life. It is better than life. Halfway trying to get myself to believe it and halfway believing it. (laughs) Just being honest. And he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips praise you. He goes, this is what motivates the way that I carry myself with you. It's why I worship you. Because your loving kindness is better than life. It's better than breathing air. It's better than my heart beating. Verse four, thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name because your loving kindness is better than life. See, beloved, when that begins to crystallize That idea that God's loving kindness is better than life, when it begins to crystallize, it causes you to pursue. Thus, I will praise you. Thus, my lips will bless your name. But if you don't believe God's love, God's chesed, God's loving kindness is better than life... You will prioritize it down the list somewhere in the pursuits of your soul and of your flesh, and you will pursue other things first. But we've got to come to grips with this truth, that God's loving kindness is better than anything. It's better than anything. Now, undoubtedly, this is where Solomon gets the phrase that I think he bases the whole book of Song of Solomon on. And and he starts the book of Song of Solomon in verse 2, and he says, Your love is better than wine. Wine being all the things that the the world can offer. Solomon, David's son, I'm convinced he got got the, the impetus for Song of Solomon from this very idea. That God's loving kindness is better than anything this world offers. It's better than life itself. And that's what he begins to explore in the whole book of Song of Solomon. A little plug for the tax uh, class that's coming up. <clears throat> your loving kindness is better than life. So I'll praise you. I'll bless you. I'll lift up my hands in your name. Verse 5, he goes, my soul, it will be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Now, that for us doesn't sound awesome. It sounds not awesome. No one is using this phrase. I just want to be satisfied like with marrow and fatness. Like I really want that marrow feeling. What's that saying? That's that phrase. It's, it's a term they would use. It, it, it translates into English: marrow and fatness or fatty meats, choice meats. He's talking about eating and if you're a vegetarian, God bless you but he's talking about eating a lot of good meat. That's what he's talking about. He goes, my soul is going to be satisfied like when I sit down and eat a steak. (laughs) Amen. That's what he's saying. With marrow and fat. He goes, it's going to be satisfied like when I eat the choice meats. I remember my wife and I went to a buddy's 40th birthday in Texas. You know, in Texas, they make everything bigger. Everything's bigger. And and everybody got these giant filet mignon steaks. That's what we all ate. And it was the size of a softball. I was just like, the Lord is moving in power. The only way to describe the size of this filet mignon is that the Lord blessed the cow from which it came. Glory to God. And you don't leave any of that on your plate. You just don't. And we were in Dallas, and I live in Atlanta, so you're not taking any of it home. You're eating it. All of it. Glory. I was satisfied. And some. That's what he's saying. Here's the point. He goes, right now, I'm in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. I know what I'm made for. I'm made to encounter God. I'm gonna seek God because his loving kindness is better than my life. I'm gonna praise him. I'm gonna bless him. I'm gonna love him. I'm gonna pursue him. And ultimately, what's gonna happen is I'm gonna be satisfied. See, so often, believers that get a hold of this I'll speak for myself. So often, when I've gotten a hold of this, I've looked at the first part God, you're my God. Early will I seek you. Yes, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God. And I stay there. Yeah, there's no water, God. Where are you, God? There's no water. But David didn't stay there. There's something about allowing that longing to produce pursuit, pursuit for God with the understanding, the expectation, with the hope and the knowledge that your soul will ultimately be satisfied. If I go this route, I'm ultimately going to be satisfied. He I'll be satisfied with marrow and fatness. My mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate in the night watches. One of the things, I'll just give this to you, is a little, just a thing to do. One of the things I love to do, just before, you know, after I say goodnight to my wife, in that moment before I nod off, I just love to just tell the Lord I love you. I just love to doze off in that place of devotion. And I find this, that a lot of times I'll doze off in that place of devotion and guess what I wake up in? That place of devotion. And what's interesting to me is oftentimes there'll be a song on my heart when I wake up, like a worship song. And I, and I try to engage with that song as I start my day. Now it's not 100%, but it's a lot. And it, it is really just that, you know that moment where you're just you're just getting ready to doze, you know? And you maybe you start reviewing your day or I don't know, you, you know? It's just that moment, I just love you, Lord. I meditate on you in the night watches. I just love you, Lord. I love you. Thank you. And you just doze off with Jesus on your heart. And what tends to happen is then you'll just wake up with Jesus on your heart. That's not rocket science, guys. That's not wild out there, wild, whoa, that's so intense. No, that's so easy. Anybody can do that. That's what believers are supposed to live like. Do you wake up in the morning with Jesus on your heart? Do you go to bed at night with Jesus on your heart? Do you love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? This is Christianity. It's so easy for us to do this, really, just to give our heart to him instead of other pursuits. He goes up. Because you've been my help, therefore, in the shadow of your wings, I'll rejoice What's he saying? He goes, in the past, you've been my help. Therefore, right now, since everything is going crazy and I'm on the run from my own son out in the desert, I'll rejoice under the shadow of your wings. There's something about being able to rejoice in the testing and trust in the Lord's leadership and protection over you. Oh God, you are my God. Verse 8, my soul follows close behind you. Hard after you is the King James Version. Clings to you is the new American standard and new international. My soul clings to God. I want to live like that. Clinging to God. Look at this. He goes, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand, that's your power. Your right hand upholds me. Verse nine, But those who seek my life to destroy it, they go into the lower parts of the earth. That's a, it's a comparison. It's a comparison. Verse eight and verse nine. He goes, I seek you, you lift me up. They seek me, you bring them down. <laughs> See how that works? When you're seeking God, he upholds you and those that are trying to do you harm, he will bring them down. That's verse eight and nine. And then he gives some more details about how bad they'll be brought down. Amen. Look at Roman numeral three. That's where I want to land. So let's just break it down, cultivating spiritual hunger. You've heard this before, you've thought of this before, let's just break it down though. So physically speaking, in order to be hungry, you have to go without eating for a while. I know I'm deep. (laughs) There it is. Try to hang on. When your stomach is empty, it begins to send a signal to your brain that you're in need. Sustenance. And that's the interesting thing about hunger, is if you eat healthily, you'll actually crave healthy things. If you eat unhealthily, you will crave unhealthy things. How many of you have ever noticed that? You ever, some of you maybe are in a, maybe you're in that New Year's resolution phase, you're only going to eat healthy. Well, if you stay with it long enough, your body will actually want healthy stuff. That's what you'll, that's what you'll, you're, you'll want. But if you know, if you, if you, if you go back and, and you're eating, you know, Twinkies every other day, guess what you're going to want? Glory to God. He might have made those too. So <laughs> all the health people are like, what? <laughs> but your body craves whatever you actually give it. See, spiritually speaking, to cultivate hunger, first you have to have a recognition that you're in need, that you don't, every, don't have everything you could have. This, beloved, is one of the most difficult things for believers to get. Most believers are, I'm saved, I love God, I'm good. And, and I would just say this, if, we're, if the church is so good, why are we not taking over? Why isn't there an explosion of power? I don't mean taking over governments. And, and I'm just saying, why isn't there a gospel proclamation and, and pros, a prospering of the gospel and the word of the Lord running swiftly in every sphere and facet of society? if the church is so good. See, I would propose that the church, there's many that love Jesus, but too often we think we are fine. We think we're okay when we don't realize that we've actually learned to live in mediocre and just getting along, just getting by kind of Christianity. It's... It's easy for me to say that because I get the opportunity to travel to other nations and I see believers that have so much less, naturally speaking, and they're so in danger, naturally speaking, and many of them in danger of being arrested or, or you know, uh, tortured. But you look at their spiritual lives and they're vibrant, hungry, passionate seekers of God, not complaining. And then you come, you come back to America and you go, we kind of got everything we need, and there's a bit of a lethargy. There's a, slow, a, sluggardly, a sluggishness about us. And you, you see it, you feel the difference. So if you realize that you have need, that's like the first step. I, I, I need God. Uh, and I say this indeed just as a bit of an aside, but. A season of declension is what preempts and presupposes our need for revival. In other words, you have to recognize that you're in decline, that you're in need for you to even think we need revival. It's not the decline that causes the revival, but it's the recognition of need that that begins to get the wheels turning. Personal revival, corporate revival. I just mentioned it in one under D, when you realize that there's more available or that in times past you were richer in your relationship with God than what you're experiencing now, it begets hunger in your soul. But you have to realize it. You have to realize it. You have to realize there's more. There's more. You have to realize that there was a season before. You have to remember that. When you were just experiencing something in God that was so rich, so real, so tender, And that's still available. That wasn't just that one time God touched you. That's still available. That recognition that you're made for more than what you're currently experiencing, that's critical to spiritual hunger. You have to ask yourself. I want you to ask yourself. Am I where I want to be or where I used to be with God? Am I? Ask yourself. Don't Make it for the person next to you. Just just in your own soul, ask yourself, am I where I want to be? And I just mentioned this in two under D. An important principle of human desire is this. You won't go without what you truly desire. People go after what they want. They don't live without what they want. They go for it. You want a hamburger? You go get it. That's what people do. They go after what they want. If you want it, you'll go after it. E, once you recognize need, the challenge is feeding on the right things spiritually in order to cultivate hunger. Recognition of need isn't enough. Many people, they realize that they're in need, but what their need does is it creates cynicism or criticism in their soul. One of the most pitiful ways to live is always knowing something needs to improve, but never having the heart or the wherewithal or the answer to know how to improve. Being a specialist in what's wrong. Folks that are specialists in what's wrong, they live very sour. I don't want to just know what's wrong. I want to know what the answer is, and then the harder part is, once you know the answer, actually doing the answer, committing to the answer, right? A bunch of people, it's the beginning of the year, undoubtedly, some of you all are on diets. God bless you. You know what the answer is. Less fried food, more vegetables and healthy food, more exercise, less couch potatoing, Right? You all know it. Everybody knows the, the mystery of losing weight. Don't eat bad stuff. Eat good stuff. Work out instead of sitting there. I've just saved you all the money you want to spend on all those things. There's the mystery. You know that there's a need. <laughs> you know even the answer. The hardest thing is to actually do the answer. To do the answer. F, just as with your natural appetite, when you realize your need and then fill your need with the wrong food, you will crave that food. You get really, really, really hungry, you find out what your cravings are. If you go after that Twinkie and that fried thing, then you know that's what your body is attuned to, it's what it's used to. And the answer to your spiritual hunger, hunger is to fill it with fleshly pursuits and desires you'll crave those things more. That's what happens. So you get hungry and then you fill it with bad stuff. Then what happens is the next time you're hungry, you crave the bad thing. Same thing spiritually speaking. You get hungry. You realize there's a need. You get hungry, but then you fill it with fleshly pursuits, all sorts of entertainments, uh, you know, food, all sorts of things that, that try to quench that hunger. I call it medicating the ache in the soul. You, you fill it with all that stuff. And and, and what happens is this, You, you begin to crave those things instead of spiritual things. The problem is those fleshly pursuits never satisfy. Look at Isaiah 55. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, bread to your soul, and your wages for what do not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Verse one, I put them out of order because it worked well. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and you have no money. Come, buy and eat. Yes, buy wine and milk without money, without price. He's talking about spiritual things. Gee, spiritual hunger begins to grow when we recognize our need, determine not to feast on fleshly things and pursue God through fasting, prayer, studying and meditating on the scripture. The more you eat spiritual things to satisfy the longing in your soul, the more your soul will crave spiritual things. I'm on I, on page three. The challenge is determining over the long haul to limit fleshly pursuits to satisfy your spiritual longings. The more you feed spiritual hunger with spiritual things, the hungrier you will get for spiritual things. That's so true, beloved. The more you feed spiritual hunger with spiritual things, the hungrier you get for spiritual things. Oh, man. I, I've, I've, I've seen this with my own life where... I'll be just so hungry for God and I'll just throw myself into the word and then this hunger and this longing for God, it it intensifies. It, It just gets so amplified on the inside and the trick is this, that when you're just aching and longing for God that you don't reach for the fleshly thing to satisfy you. When you get that good longing and aching for the Lord on the inside, oh, stay with it. Stay with it. Allow it to be what what motivates the way that you prioritize life. That's where this idea of your loving kindness is better than life. That's when it begins to really settle on us. And then I just say it there that the more you feed spiritual hunger with fleshly things, the less you will be hungry for spiritual things. It's so true. I'm getting ready to land. Fasting. Fasting is a powerful way to cultivate spiritual hunger. I'll tell you what's wild about fasting is you don't realize how addicted you are to certain things, to inputs and screens and social media and movies and food and sugar, glory to God, until you cut them off. You cut some of that off and you're like, Ah, I'm dying. I'm going to die. I haven't had any sugar in seven full hours. I am dying. You don't actually realize how dependent you are on certain things till you cut it off. It's amazing because we live in a society where we can prop ourselves up on so many different things. We don't realize how we've propped ourselves up we don't realize you know the way that we've we've sort of medicated our souls and insulated ourselves from true spiritual hunger with all sorts of fleshly desires some things that they're not even necessarily sin they're just they're just fleshly they're not feeding our spirit in fasting we humble ourselves and we put ourselves in a place of voluntary weakness so that we can experience God's power in our lives. Look at 2 Corinthians 12. Paul talking, he says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's, there's a value to embracing your own weakness. When you actually get around the, the apostolic mentality that Paul and the other apostles carried, you realize these guys weren't into parading themselves as something big. They weren't into like showing themselves off as some big name, you know, big guy, big speaker or something like that, big minister. These guys were all into being very open and honest about their weaknesses to the place where they actually say, Paul actually says, I glory in my weaknesses. And the reason why is because they understood something that most of us don't understand. He says, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses because Christ's power may rest on me in that. So that Christ's power may rest on me. It's in weakness that the power of God rests on you. God isn't interested in empowering strong flesh. He's interested in a jar of clay that sits there and goes, I need God more than I need anything else. And he goes, I can work with that. He says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships. He delights in insults. I just love that one. What'd you say to me? He goes, Oh, I just want you to say it again because I delight in it. We're both reading the Bible, right? That's what he says. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is so, this is Christianity. It's so not our culture, but it's so true. Just closing with this. Cultivating spiritual hunger, pursuing God, putting yourself in a place of weakness that God's power may rest on you. I gave you 10 things you can fast just for fun. I started with five, but I hit seven so fast I stretched it to 10. (laughs) 10 things you can fast. Food. (laughs) That's the big one. That's our big addiction. Notice I itemized a few important things sweets, I didn't say sugar, I said sweets, meats, and coffee. Come on. You're like, now he's meddling with me now. Now he's meddling. Sweets, meats, and coffee. Look, this is, I'm giving you a menu. I'm not saying you have to fast all this all at the same time or whatever, but this is a menu of things you can fast. I encourage people to fast weekly. Weekly. Every week, take a day, devote it to fasting and prayer. Instead of doing lunch, do an hour of prayer. You can do that. You really can. You can be in the workplace and really fast one day a week, and it's not, it's not hard. Your body gets attuned to it. First time you do it, you'll be a little dizzy. People are like, What's wrong with you? You're like, I'm on a diet. <laughs> but get, you, you'll get used to it. Do it. Make it a part of your life. See, the goal isn't that we would have a series on pursuing God. The goal is that we would live a life of pursuing God. Put in a a day of fasting. If you want to go for it, put in two days of fasting every week. Just live like that. Just go for it. Here's some stuff you can fast food. Biblical fasting always included food, they didn't have all these other things. You know, a social media fast wasn't a thing when Paul was walking around. It wasn't a thing 15 years ago. Food, try this one talking. Try shutting up for about six hours one day. See how that treats you. It's amazing how addicted we are to sharing everything we think, our own opinions, the latest news story, complaining about the weather. Oh, the weather. I love it. It's freezing. It's awesome. love it. Which brings me to number three. Don't complain. You can fast that one forever. We have biblical commands not to do it, but some people are addicted to complaining. Like my weather example. It's like if they've got nothing to say, they'll just immediately complain about something. Oh, the weather. So cold. It's awesome. I love cold for a minute. I was so bummed that it didn't actually just snow a blizzard. Weren't you? Didn't you want a blizzard? I mean, just a little bit. We get, we get snow every other year. Come on. Oh, I'm complaining. I need a fast. Four. Some people need a fast worrying. Of course, three and four, we have biblical admonitions not to complain and not to worry. So I'm just sort of digging in with you right now. Make it prayer instead of worry. Whatever you're worried about, turn it into prayer. God, and then express your complaint to him, expre- express your concern to him. Five: shopping. Some people need to fast. I don't mean going to the grocery store. I mean fast, non-essential shopping. Because what you'll do is you'll look online for something to just sort of satisfy your soul. You'll just medicate and finding a bargain or a deal or a coupon or something. Take a break. You don't need all that stuff. Well, it's just garage sales. You don't need it. Take a break. Six, fast your hobby. Amazing how we will sanctify our hobby and place it in importance over God. It's not sin. I have a couple hobbies. I have fishing and I have football and there's been seasons with both of them. I've just had to back off of both of them. Can't do this hobby right now. It's taking too much of my energy, my devotion. Seven, movies and TV shows. Eight. Social media. I'll tell you what, I've looked at some recent stuff, and many of you guys have seen this video that went around talking about how people get a fix, a, a dopamine fix off of social media. I'm probably gonna, I'm gonna do something with that content. I was blown away. We don't realize how social media is impacting every aspect of our life. All of our interactions, but even more our state of being and our state of well-being. Take a break. You really don't need to be on Facebook. You don't. Just take a break. I'm not saying you got to give it up forever, but I'm saying get that thing under control so you don't wake up in the morning, first thing you do is check your social media, or go to bed at night, first thing you do is check your social media. Don't do that. Get off of that. Everybody's like, well, that's just for the young people. No, 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 no. I see you old people. <laughs> y'all are on Facebook. I see you. I see y'all. <laughs> get off of that. Young people, if I was talking to the young people, I'd be talking about Snapchat, If I'm saying Facebook, I'm talking to old people. Nine, digital devices and screens in general. Just get off them. If you find you're addicted to as I'm preaching off a screen, if you find you're addicted to your screen, get off of it. I'll tell you one little simple change I just made this week. It was awesome. I went back to my paper Bible. Just got off my, just got off my little uh, iPad Bible, went back to my paper Bible, and had all these awesome notes from times past. All my little underlines, oh, I remember that. The, the challenge was this, that, you know, with the, with the iPad you can make the screen quite a bit bigger. <laughs> I hadn't been looking at the paper Bible in a while. When I cracked it out, I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> Pulled out the old reading glasses, slid those guys on, and like, "Whoa, well, okay, hey, look at that!" There it is. Underline it. Get off your screen. I just, It's just wild to me how we do interaction socially. We're all screened up. Screen heads. Be delivered. <laughs> Finally, 10. I thought this was, I was kind of scrambling and then I remembered this one. Makeup and stylish clothes. Except a couple of the ladies right now are like, you better just back up. You better stop. But I put makeup and stylish clothes because I remembered this. One of our male missionaries, he, uh, very stylish guy, really, really well dressed all the time, always put together, good looking guy, and uh, he's. he's <laughs> I remember seeing him, and every time I saw him, he had a sweatshirt on and sweatpants, and and like he was like that for like I mean a plain sweatshirt. I'm not talking about something designer. It wasn't these new jogger kind of sweatpants. It was just the old Walmart $6 sweatpants. I was like, wow. And his hair was kind of getting crazy and his beard was growing out. And I remember I grabbed him one time. I said, hey, are you all right? He didn't look himself. He said, yeah, I'm good. His eyes were bright. And I said, oh, okay, good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. And I saw him like two weeks later and he only had like two sweat shirts and like two sweatpants. He's wearing the same thing. He looked like he was in his pajamas every day. I grabbed him like two weeks later. I said, bro, <laughs> what happened? Our goal isn't that people would come to IHOP and they forget that they have to dress right, you know? Like, like what, what happened? He goes, the Lord convicted me about my appearance, how I'm always worried about how I look. He said, and I felt like for a season I was supposed to fast being stylish. And I just, I'm just gonna wear these sweat pants and a sweatshirt until God just removes that from me. That's glorious. Well, he's serving the Lord in the Middle East right now, leading Muslims to Jesus. That probably worked pretty good for me. Guys, I, I want us to be a people that live in t- spiritual hunger and spiritual pursuit. I know I gave you a lot today. We're going to keep going with this. I, I want to I keep going with this until there's something that develops in our soul when we're not willing to live halfway, half-baked, mediocre in any way, seeking the Lord. We wanna seek the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? Amen. All right, let's just stand.